are now listening to Liberation. I'm your host, Corey Hatcher. Liberation presents Dwayne Bryant. Dwayne is a minister, author, and associate professor of Bible at Faulkner University in Montgomery, Alabama. In this episode, we discuss what led him to apologetics and his work in it. We will also talk about his discoveries and studies abroad. Dwayne will give Christians tips to better defend the truth. We will also discuss his YouTube channel and the books he has written. Please enjoy the show. First Thessalonians 5, 21, the Bible tells us uh, to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Uh, my brother in Christ, um, this, this esteemed gentleman is one that specializes in proving the facts of the Bible, and he is superbly uh, great at it. This gentleman is an associate professor of Bible at Faulkner University. Uh, he's a Christian apologist. Uh, he has a Ph.D. in biblical studies uh, with emphasis on the Old Testament. Uh, the list goes on and on. M.A. degrees. Uh, he's he's learned at Lipscomb, uh, Ambridge. Uh, he's a member of the Oriental Schools of Oriental Research, the Archaeological Institute of America, the Society of Biblical Literature, um, the Evangelical Theological Society, and he's also a member of the International Society of Christian Apologetics. Uh, he's the author of three books, which we'll get into later. Again, the esteemed gentleman I bring to you this evening is uh, Dwayne Bryant. Uh, Brother Bryant, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm I'm ecstatic. <laughs> ecstatic. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've, I flattered the brother before the show started. Um, but everything that I said is, is true. Um, and I told him gentlemen like himself, uh, Brad Harrop, uh, John Shannon, Jack Wilkie are some of the linchpins that helped me get my faith reestablished some 10 years ago, uh, especially seeing some of the videos he did with Bibl um, biblical passages and, and the archaeological work he did with uh, World Video Bible School. Uh, some of his articles in Apologetics Press. Um, the list goes on and on. This uh, brother can tell you uh, what he's all about. So before we get into that, brother uh, Bryant, where did this all start for you? Let's let's start from a youngster. Uh, how did you get into the faith? Wow. So, um, yeah, so I sort of grew up around the church, uh, not really in church as much. My, my family was sort of religious, some more than others. And um, I, I would wanted to, uh, to eventually grow up and be a paleontologist. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I was, I was like a lot of kids into dinosaurs and all that. And, and uh, of course, that, that brings a lot of uh, interesting questions when it comes to the Bible and history and all that. And, uh, and so one of the things that uh, I did as a, as a young person is didn't really go to church very much. Um, kind of got into it as, as I got older. I had good friends who had good influences on me. And um, so I sort of sort of slowly uh, acclimatized to the church and you wind up going to a, a, a Christian high school, wound up going to David Lipscomb College, where I had a lot of Christian friends. And at that moment, I... Uh, as, as I was sort of getting close to graduation, 
I um, had a seminar in ancient Near Eastern history. And for the first time, uh, I really began to have a lot of doubts. And so one of the things that, that happened was uh, I, I chose a variety of books to do for the seminar. And some of them were written by people who were very critical of the Bible. Uh, interestingly enough, they, they had formerly been Christians when they were when they were young people, but had grown up and left the faith and you know gone into critical scholarship. And so th- these were some of the books that I was reading for this class. And so eventually, I got to a point where, and I just doubted everything. And so I sort of just sort of languished in doubt for about ten years. Hmm. And I wound up going to a school, uh, working on doing some graduate work in archaeology. And I had had a couple of professors who were Egyptologists and archaeologists, and they were, uh, I'll say, evangelical, but were very, very committed. And that sort of let me know that you can be a highly intelligent person. Both these guys got degrees from schools that were you know, among the very best in North America. And so their example taught me you can be a person of faith or, or you know, ha- be, a, be someone who has, you know, a, a belief in God, a very strong one, and be an intellectual and not give up everything in the Bible. You know, not, not just say, well, you know, it's, it's a good story, and, but it's got some mythology mixed in there. And, you know, we, ah, you know we'll, we'll take some of it. Mm. No, I mean, these guys were you know, on board with Jesus. (laughs) And so uh, that, that really kind of helped me with a lot of things. And so going through this program where I finally had answers to my questions, that was, was exciting. And one of the things that motivates me now is, Hey man, I know what it's like to languish in doubt for a decade. And it's a, it's a terrible place to be. And so I want to help other people not go to that place. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to have people, uh, excited that there are answers out there, that Bible difficulties can be resolved, and so that's something that motivates me uh, every day. Um, you brought up something that I actually didn't think about in my notes. Let's just use "rooted" as the word. Why do you think those that were once rooted are generally some of the biggest arch nemesis against the God of the Bible? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know that I've got a great answer. <laughs> uh, some some of them, it's I, I think it's maybe the aversion to being under God. Yeah, you know, because if you look at at um, atheist literature, um, Jean Paul Sartre is is one guy who he, he wrote on this. He wrote on the, what's called the Eye of God, and he, for him, it was it was just unnerving it was unpleasant it was frightening for him to think of god being omniscient and being able to see him and and watch him he 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 took that in a way that was very um very negative like like here's this cosmic you know peeping tom always (laughs) looking at people and you know, and, and then I looked at the same thing. It's funny. I, I looked at the same thing, and I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of like how I, how I watch my kids. You know, there are a lot of times when you know I have five daughters, so mm-hmm. I'm a man outnumbered in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and there are times when you know I, I look at my kids, and I just 
I just love to just to just to admire them, to 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 appreciate them. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that's closer to what God does if you look at the Bible, not this, you know, weirdo voyeur who's always, you know, sneaking a peek at people, you know, in unguarded <laughs> boats or something. It's weird, you right. know. But uh, but but that's that's how I look at it. And so I think some people are are just just unnerved by the idea that Here's this this incredible cosmic creator who just knows them inside and out. Because I, I think part of us is like we like to keep secrets sometimes. You know, we we, we like to hide things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, when you go on a date, right? You, you know, there there are things about yourself that you try to downplay that you're afraid that might be unattractive, and so you play up your your strengths and you put your best foot forward and. You know, you can't really do that with God. You know, God knows everything about you. Right. And so I think for some people that's very unnerving. Yeah, and and, and um I've always considered um one other thing I, th- I think uh we want to well, I assume that some of those that are willing to side against God they just want to feed into their flesh more. Um, than the average person, if you will. Um, they don't want to give in or uh, abide to this, like you said, this cosmic figure. They want to do what they want to do as they want to do it to the day they're called home. Um, and my minister up here, Kevin, he he's always made God more um, visual to us at our congregation where like you, you use up, you use the example of being the father. And when you go back to Romans and you talk about Abba father, he's a father that has compassion. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths and where we fall. And he's not some omnipotent figure that's looking to crush us at each and every, um, shortcoming that we have he wants us to run back to him as you would want your daughters and my for me my sons that if something happens come back to me let's talk about this let's mm-hmm. work this out um and i'll point you in the right direction but ultimately you have the choice um, yes and i think that's a good way of looking at it instead of just being um appalled at someone like you said, some peeping time looking down at you all the time. Yeah, and and what's something that strikes me sometimes is um, is those who are the fiercest in their rejection of God mm-hmm. do tend to celebrate their autonomy from God in very carnal ways. So I, I think that kind of supports some of what you're saying there with the kind of like you said, feeding the flesh. Um, that, 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 now I'm not saying that's for, for everybody. I don't want anybody to get that, that impression that, you know, all of a sudden just, you know, if you're an atheist, that means you're just some savage or something like that. Right. But, but there are those that, you know, if you, if you reject God, it, it does help you to justify some things that you do. Amen. So back to your, your, um, learning process. Um, at some mm-hmm. point you were, do, there's all these things that you're learning but on the flip side, there's all these different organizations that you can uh, be a part of. Um, how did you narrow down what's the correct um, 
choice to pick. Okay, you mean like in terms of like memberships of of the, of the different groups? Right. Yeah. So those are um, a lot of the uh, a lot of groups where generally scholars are, are part of, so like the uh, Evangelical Theological Society. This is a group of of evangelical scholars, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things you have to sign off on is inerrancy, the inerrancy of the Bible, uh, which I do subscribe to, and so uh, that's a sticking point there. That that sort of sort of um, I won't say guarantee, but but it does sort of narrow the field to a membership that would be. Uh, that would have a, a closer view of scripture that, than I would, um, as well as being people who are scholars in the area that I could learn from. Right. And so that's, that's, uh, that's one thing. Uh, I, I am a member of the uh, international society of Christian apologetics. And that was one that, uh, Norm Geisler, um, you may be familiar with, you're probably familiar with his name. Uh, Geisler was a, was a big part of, and, uh, and so it's 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 very similar. You know, inerrancy is a big part of, of their um, of their outlook, and that's something where you have uh, scholars who are top notch who who get together. We have meetings. You talk about these these issues, and getting to dig into some of that stuff is really exciting. Mm. So you know it's 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 fun to do, fun to do Bible study and, and understand the text and, and look at all the connections and all that kind of thing. But if you're inclined, man, it's an exciting thing to dig into the, the original language and some of the background and really just deepen and broaden your understanding of what's going on uh, with the text and behind the text and with all the characters and kind of fill things out. It's, it's really an exciting thing. So that's, that's something that, um, uh, that so some, some groups that I'm, I'm part of where you know, we have conferences and things like that. And I sort of get that, uh, I sort of get fed that way. Mm. Right? So it's, it's, it's an exciting thing. So let me also ask this. Um, be, I'm going to assume, and, and, and I don't know with all certainty, but I'm sure, let's just say, some of the gentlemen that's part of your, some of these associations, some of them may be of Pentecostal faith, of Lutherans, the list goes on. Um, with all the digging into scriptures, why is there a, um, no one's coming to that consensus. Like, you know what, this church right here is the one, or this is the, the churches of Christ closely model, uh, what was going on in the new Testament. Okay. Yeah. So I think there, what you've got is a lot of folks dealing with tradition, um, and I think it differs as to as to each different group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll just say you know, different denominational affiliations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone who is maybe Presbyterian, um, you know, it, and, and, and anybody can see this. Like I, I sometimes watch videos from these guys on Ligonier, um, uh, Ligonier Ministries, which is founded by R.C. Sproul, who's Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. And when you watch some of those videos, what you'll notice is they will make lots of appeals to sort of the founding fathers of, of their particular tradition. So lots of mentions of Martin Luther, lots of mentions of John Calvin and some of these other reform, uh, reformation uh, figures. 
So part of that, I think, is, is tradition. They're, they're going back to these guys. These are sort of their, their theological heroes. And uh, that's, that's, there's an appeal there, right? Not so much in Churches of Christ, right? Because in, in Churches of Christ, the idea is to go back to the Bible. You know, I don't, I don't go back to Alexander Campbell. Mm. Or I don't go back to Martin W. Stone. Right? They were, they were great thinkers, right? Um, but ultimately, the source of authority is, is scripture. Uh, that, that's where you go. Um, for other people, uh, I'll say maybe like you know, some of our Roman Catholic neighbors. You know, the idea is, um, well, we have this uh, understanding of the church that's developed over time, and and so it's you know half scripture, half. Uh, church authority, and we sort of marry these together, and and so that's why we can have scripture that never mentions the Pope, but still have a Pope. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you've got this this um, sort of um, prestige, the the idea that the, the the Roman Church goes all the way back to Peter, right? And so, I, I think there's a lot of different reasons why these guys have these. Um, differences when it comes to their denominational beliefs. And sometimes that may be sort of an obstacle to them just going back to scripture and saying things very plainly and very simply. So how, how long uh, were you in school and, and progressing in, in your um, apologetic studies? Yes. A long time. <laughs> I, I would imagine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, after college, I think I spent 19 years wow. in in graduate school. Wow. So now a lot of that was just taking one class, right? One one class a a semester. Not, you know, I don't I don't, I don't just have piles of hours from, <laughs> okay. from, from my degrees and all that. But uh, but but I but I did I did spend a long time, and and a lot of it was um, just I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the study. Enjoyed the the, the the excitement of of really digging in uh, to some of these things that um, that some people just don't have the same privilege to be able to study that's something I, I don't take for granted um, I mean it's it's a, it's an amazing experience and privilege to be able to have uh, the kind of educational opportunities that I've been able to enjoy God's blessed me with and so um, uh, but but it did take a long time. And uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily trained as an apologist per se, mm. but I have done a lot of study in you know, logic and philosophy um, and relevant biblical areas, archaeology, that kind of thing uh, that, I, that I picked up over the years. Okay. Um, how much pleasure is it? Um, you, you study these things, you read about it, and then you actually go abroad to actually mm -hmm. find these articles, find these different... Um, altars, if you will, and, and different places that a lot of our biblical characters have been at. What? How much joy is that to actually see it? Because I tell you, if, if I was able to do it, 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 it would be the joy of my life. <laughs> I'll say this. There, there's, there, there's a sort of a twofold pleasure in it. One is if you really enjoy history and archaeology, it's the thrill of the discovery. So um, in my, my first, first getting my feet wet in, uh, in, in graduate school and archaeology, I went on a dig for almost two months with a uh, professor of mine in Egypt. And hmm. 
during this time, you know, I got to excavate a couple of burials. Wow. I got to, we found gold, found, found gold jewelry. And it was such a big find that the, and I can't remember if it was number two or number three, but one of the highest ranking officials in the Egyptian Antiquities Authority made a personal visit, drove, drove three hours wow. to make a personal visit to our site. Because it was that important. So um, when I <laughs> when we got back that afternoon, and I was the one who found the first piece of it, so it was it was fascinating. Nice. Uh, but when we got back that that afternoon, um, at, at our dig, we had a group of Americans and a group of Canadians, and all the Canadians drank like fish. <laughs> and so when we would go to the market, <laughs> when we would go to the market. Uh, we had to drive an hour because this was out in the middle of nowhere in the Sinai Peninsula. And so we'd drive an hour to go to the store and they would just bring back cases of beer. And I mean, they literally had like a bar in one of their, one of their rooms. Uh-huh. And, and I went in and, and nobody was talking. Everybody was quiet. Nobody was saying anything because everybody knew this was a big deal. And so I'm, uh, they invited me. I was the only the only time I was invited, but I sat there and I'm like, uh, they're like, well, what do you want to drink? I'm like, like I don't know, you got any water? <laughs> and uh, and so they're sure you don't want something to drink. I'm like, no, no, I'm I'm, I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And and this one lady, she looks at me and and I'm I'm kind of nonchalant, you know, uh, about things like that. I don't get really, you know, excited about things so much. And, and this one lady. Was just it was just expecting me to like you be going bananas I think and she says you don't know what you found did you and I said oh no ma'am I, I know exactly what I found I found gold <laughs> we found gold story <laughs> uh, you know I, I gotta get that <laughs> but uh, but but there's that right there's there's the thrill of the discovery mm. that's exciting but then when you go to Israel. And now you're turning up things that date back to the biblical period. And, you know, you're excavating someplace, maybe in Jerusalem, and you find, uh, like people did a few years ago, find a seal with Hezekiah's name on it. They find a seal with the prophet Isaiah's name on it, Hmm. you know, or they're excavating someplace that's maybe where where David's palace was, or or they find this inscription that's like the oldest Hebrew inscription ever discovered it goes all the way back almost to the time of the judges and and that's thrilling it's 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 thrilling to understand that when you look at all the world's religions christianity is the only one where you can go and 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 dig this stuff up and it really confirms your faith Mm -hmm. you know i mean you you can't really do that with islam uh you can't you cannot do it with hinduism can't do it with Mormonism. If that's archaeology is a big embarrassment to the Mormon Church, but you look at you know Christianity and of course Old and New Testament. So so Judaism in, in the Old Testament. So so Jewish history. You know you dig some of this stuff up, and man, it is absolutely thrilling. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. I um, a few years back, uh, me and my son. Along with our uh, the congregation I was at, we went to the um, Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Oh my goodness! I, so I couldn't imagine actually being on 
the soil where the apostles walked and Jesus walked and uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, it, it would be fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now you brought up something that was actually going to be one of my final questions, so I'll just bring it forward. Um, with, with what you said about being able to prove the God of the Bible, um, is this also still one of those things, like you said, um, traditionalism or, or somewhat pride when you have, like you said, those of Islam, Buddhists, etc. Uh, why is it that they won't submit to the God of the Bible? Forget about, for the moment, let's put the Church of Christ to the side, but let's just start out with believing in the God of the Bible. Why is it so, um, such a stumbling block for them? Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, some of this, I think, w- when you look at discoveries, like archaeological discoveries, mm-hmm. I think what you have is a lot of folks who just don't have any interest in religion. Mm. Maybe maybe it's that maybe it's they have a problem with organized religion. Maybe they just have an anti supernatural bias. Right. I, I, maybe sometimes it's it's more carnal things. I mean, I think I think there's there are several different, um, maybe a number of different reasons. But when it comes to you know saying like as a Christian, I say, oh well, here's here's all these discoveries, and all of them seem to support the Bible and support the biblical timeline, and maybe even do it doing it in in very surprising ways. Right, things that. Um, like, like for instance, if you go to the Pentateuch, right, you go to Genesis and Exodus, you had to have people living in those times, writing those stories Mm -hmm. because otherwise there's no explanation for why they know and include the details of the things they include. They didn't have research library, libraries. They didn't have Google. (laughs) They, they, they didn't write historical fiction, right? Mm -hmm. They did not have that ability. So, so what do you do? What do you do with that? And I think for a lot of people, it's, oh, well, you know, the Bible got some things right. Yeah, okay, so so maybe we're not one of those people who's going to say, okay, I'm all in. I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. Um, I, I'm a believer. And they're not to the opposite end where they say, well, I hate religion. It's all just a bunch of bunkum, right? Maybe they're somewhere in the middle. And they say, well, you know, I'll agree that the Hebrews were people who lived in the ancient world. And they wrote their history, just like other cultures wrote their histories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, yeah, so, so they got some things right. But they won't take that to the next level, which is, well, what about the inspiration of Scripture? You know, there's, there are some things that pretty good arguments you could make about that, but, mm-hmm. but they, they, won't, they won't make that, that jump. Right, right. Um, and, and just the, the, the current atmosphere the current world that we're in uh, um i'm finding things more and more confusing is probably not the best word but i'm i'm awestruck at some of the choices and things people come up with yeah and and one of the things that that i think is becoming more and more apparent is we live in a culture where Orderly thinking, logic, facts, these are things 
that are less important than emotions. Right. Um, it seems like you know if you want to win, win an argument today, just make sure that you shout louder than the other person, <laughs> yeah. and you find some way to to, to make an emotional connection. Uh, sometimes it's you know, if, if you can find a way to sort of turn yourself into into, into the persecuted one, um, that helps you out. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, so there's a lot of these these very um, subjective factors that play into that. That you know, really, you're looking at things that should be more objective, right? So, so good reasoning, good thinking, logic, facts, evidence, you know, th- those kinds of things, really, are what you base a good argument on. Um, emotion is not. And that seems to be where our culture is is going at ninety miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was having a discussion with someone, and I said, you know, all the arguments and back and forth. I said, when somebody passes away, or say, God forbid, someone is murdered, and they can't determine what the person is, when the crime scene gets there their science is going to be able to tell them exactly what they were. So it, I don't understand what, why it's even up for an argument that uh, I wasn't created who I'm supposed to be. Um, it, it's, it's truly baffling. Um, and, and at the end of the day, all these things still point back to the God of the Bible. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Your journey's abroad. So how did they help uh, give a broader context uh to your understanding um, of the bible okay so it it really helps to bring home the the reality of the bible so when you're able to see some of these places i think for some people and and i do a lot i've done a lot of traveling with school and, and going on trips and educational trips and things like that so I'm, I completely and fully advocate, you know, people getting a chance to, to, to take you know, uh, trips overseas like this. But it really brings it home in a way. So it, it helps you to realize that, you know, it's, it's not just mythology. It's not just something that some, you know, group of people over there, some, some vague, ambiguous group wrote. Uh, it's... It's something that really happened. So, you know, there, there's a place, and, and I was working on the Bible Land passages, and uh, we're doing some, we're doing some filming on the Western Wall, mm. right? So, so we're doing the Western Wall, filming some of the stuff, um, and we got to a spot of pavement where you can stand on the same paving stones that is from the same level that Jesus and his disciples would have walked on. That is, is is just something that is exciting. You know, when you go up to the Western Wall, and, and, and you can go up to it, you touch it, you know. If you want to put a little prayer, you slide it in like a little crack or something, you can do that. But it's it's exciting when you, when you touch that and you're like, oh, well, Herod the Great, you know, actually had some of this built. You know, mm. you go back a little bit farther, and people before him, I mean, restoring the temple, rebuilding the temple, Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm. They, this, this is stuff they did, wow. you know? And so it's, it's, it's you're, you're literally touching the past, and that is an exciting thing. So it, 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 really kind of, it really kind of drives it home for you. Yeah. That's, that's incredible stuff. 
do you think um apologetics in 2023 um is it still uh prevalent in convincing uh non-believers uh to to have, I'm trying to find the best word is it is it still a good method of convincing non-believers in 2023 or does it, or is it more of a thing that helps reestablish the faith of those that are um already of the body of Christ okay so i think it does both mm-hmm. uh, i i think apologetics is absolutely necessary because when i started my YouTube channel uh, came out. We, we were in the middle of COVID, and I was I was working at a congregation, and I wanted to start to do something like kind of a daily study, just to kind of encourage our folks. And as it kind of grew and developed, it transformed into more of an apologetics-centered channel. And so that's that's what I deal with now, and. For uh, for a lot of what I do, of course, I'm always looking for topics. And one of the things that I ha- that I consistently see is I I look at people who are sort of popular level non-believers, mm. and then those who are sort of the educated um, professor, you know, intellectual types, um, public intellectuals uh, on that level. So you've got in general, it seems that the average non-believer has access to better information and better arguments than atheists have in the past. So in the past, you know, if, if, if you go back 100 years, the arguments were terrible. <laughs> they, they were bad. Mm. And they have only improved. So that puts um, pressure on believers, if, if we're going to fulfill Peter's command to have a reason uh, uh, for the hope that is in us, for anybody who asks us, why, why are we Christians? We give them that reason. Um, we do have to have some pretty good answers yeah. um, because the because the criticisms are getting better. Now, I'm not saying more convincing. I'm not saying they're, they're more truthful. They're better thought out. So, so they're not as bad as they used to be. So, but the thing is, when you look at the popular level folks, you still have people who say who will say things like, well, you know, Leviticus 19, the text says that Moses calls a bat a bird. You know, we know bats and birds are, are different things. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's an easy answer to that. That'd be really easy. But for a lot of folks, that's still something they will cite. So, so you go on the website for the American Atheists. They've got a page of these Bible contradictions. Very few of them are very good, but they're still being used. Mm-hmm. And so you've got that, but then you've got the higher level stuff. And, and that's where like our professional apologists come into play and answer some of those things, because there are very advanced philosophical and scientific arguments that are put forward that you're going to need somebody who's more of a professional at this to be able to answer those things. Right. Um, but then you've also got the fact that it does help confirm the faith of people. And so people are going to be hearing, you know, um, media, social media, news. Um, Christmas and Easter are two big times of the year where this stuff usually kind of comes out with Jesus and the crucifixion, resurrection, the deity of Jesus and all this stuff. And so uh, the, 
they're still going to hear this this stuff. No, no, no matter how many times Christian apologists are going to answer it, they're still going to hear it. There's always going to be another guy out there, another another girl out there who's going to be you know, making the anti-Christian case. Mm. Um, so, so believers still need this need this because it helps us to understand that no, we don't we we do have a faith that's founded in fact, right? It's it's not just a bunch of you know desert nomads wrote the Bible, you know, two thousand years, three thousand years ago. Uh, no, it's actually not not that. <laughs> so right. so so you do have to answer the atheists or answer the non Christians and support Christians also. Both of those are important. Um, what are, because um, um, just shooting an arrow in the dark, most people that listen to this show are of the faith or um, believe in God. So what are some of those, um, some of the top arguments, if you will, by atheists against the faith so that we can take some of these things that you're talking about and maybe go home, study, and, and and brush up on some of those things. What are what are what do you think are some of the toughest arguments that they present? Okay, so some of them are going to be things like you know, the Bible is mythology. Um, we know if if you really dig into it, uh, mythology has characteristics the Bible does not have, and vice versa. But we're going to be told the Bible is mythology. Uh, we're going to be told there's no proof for events in the Bible. So like the Exodus or the 10 plagues of Egypt, or, you know, maybe the reigns of David and Solomon. And then there are answers, answers for those. Some of those are arguments from silence. Uh, some of them are just, uh, no, we actually really do have evidence. You just aren't aware of it. Right. So arguments, arguments from silence and arguments from ignorance. Um, the question of evil, pain and suffering is a big one. It is a big one because it also touches on a person's emotions, right? And that it, again, that's that's one of the big things, is uh, is, is a person's emotions. So, you know, uh, in fact, I my sister's best friend, uh, she and her husband are atheists now. Uh, the husband is an atheist because his mom got cancer and died. Mm. Um, why didn't God stop my mom from getting cancer? Why didn't my, uh, God save my mom's life? Right? And and so you know it's the question of evil, pain, and suffering uh, is a big one. And I'll say this. I think there are some reasonable answers. There are good answers. Uh, um, but because it's emotional, uh, I think I think it would be very hard for anyone to come up with a slam dunk answer uh, for that one. That's just uh, that, that's always going to be a little, little bit of a challenge. Um, but those are those are just you know like three off the top of my head that would would be some uh, dinosaurs, right? Age of the Earth types uh, would would be another one. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned pain and suffering because I've been going back through uh, my chronological Bible and I came upon um, just last night reading uh, Numbers thirty one uh, with the Midianites and. You know, the the men of war was supposed to take everybody out, <laughs> and you know they let some mm-hmm. of the women and children survive, uh, and maybe that was an emotional stronghold on them, or, or maybe they just hey that woman's cute, I want to keep her, whatever <laughs> whatever the case may be. Um, 
you know, though I, I know that those are certain arguments of, oh, this loving God, he sent the Israelites out to war to kill groups of people and slaughter whole villages. Um, so it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, so you, you did mention, uh, Jesus and I know that can become, um, a stumbling block people, uh, whether it is like in, in Islam, they just think that he's a great prophet. Uh, the Israelites don't believe that he's the king of the Jews. Uh, and then some people just don't think he did what he did. And he's just some great preacher of the day. Um, why is Jesus now? There's not a lot of, and I could be wrong. There's not a lot of physical proof to Jesus. Um, where do we establish Jesus in these arguments? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, uh, that's another big one. Uh, in fact, this is an area that's called uh, Jesus mythicism or, or mythicists. And these are folks who believe that Jesus was just a, a mythological character that the early church basically stole from pagan mythology. Okay, so how do we know that that's not the case, right? Well, you've got a combination of, of, of different things. And so one uh, is going to be dealing with the date of the New Testament writings. Uh, one is going to deal with eyewitness evidence. So, you know, Peter, John um, are, are both uh, uh, give themselves as, as eyewitnesses to mm -hmm. this. And so uh, what did the early church say about it? You know, and then uh, does the does does the story hold together, right? Uh, what about Pilate? Uh, we know he you know, at one time he was thought to be a historical, uh, a mythological character or a fictional character. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that he wasn't. Right. Right? We actually know some details about his life, not a lot, but we know some. Um, and then you've got you know various sites, um, the House of Peter, right at Capernaum. We we think we found that and. So, uh, because Christians would use it as a pilgrimage site, I, th I think the Catholic Church built a church over it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's an it's an interesting. It's sort of like a UFO sort of hovers over the <laughs> <laughs> over the uh, over the archaeological site. Um, so, so so you can get to the, the remains of it, uh, but but you can also go to church there if you want to. Um, but uh, but you know things like that. So so there's there's a lot of it's it's a it's sort of a, a more involved argument than just to say, oh, well, was Hezekiah a real king of Judah? Oh, well, we found a seal with his name on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got a pretty good idea. Yeah, it was found in Jerusalem right. and dates to about you know the 700s. So that's a that's a pretty sure bet. Jesus is a little tougher because right. uh, you're dealing now with more with historical sources, mm -hmm. but historical sources do provide um, a, a, a solid but different kind of information. Right? Archaeology provides a a kind of physical information, uh, historical sources are textual. And so now the question is, can we trust those sources? And from what, you know, from what we can determine, there's no reason really not to, I mean, no, no scholar, you know, distrusts or, or, or thinks that Jesus didn't exist. I mean, the, the, the number of guys who, who don't think so, who have PhDs, you can count on one hand, literally in the entire world. So, it's um, uh, th things like that are, are, are pretty sure. 
once historians get a hold of those texts. Um, that you know, we hear about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you you mentioned that you saw the seal of the king. Um, what are some other ancient manuscripts that aren't heavily um, spoken of that you have discovered or have I um, been an eyewitness to? Okay, so yeah, so you've, so, so you've got the Dead Sea Scrolls. They they really sort of showed that the the Old Testament was copied faithfully. Mm-hmm. That was a big question for a really long time. And when those were discovered in 1947, it just blew open the, uh, uh, the, 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 the case against the reliability of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the New Testament, you know, you've got all these manuscript discoveries. Uh, it's almost 6,000 at this point. I want to say it's like 5,700, 5,800 uh, in that neighborhood. And the manuscript evidence is really good for, for the New Testament, better than anything else in the ancient world by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you look at some of the greatest works of the ancient world, and they've got maybe a dozen copies, two dozen copies. And then you get the New Testament with almost 6,000. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just fantastic. You said there's 6,000 um, copies things, of the, the, New, the New Testament that exists? Oh, uh, 6,000 manuscripts. Wow. Yeah, so some of those are just going to be pieces uh, wow. of the New Testament. Wow. Uh, maybe, maybe a book here or there, a page or two, maybe. So, and some of them are, you know, maybe a, a collection of a number of books. Huh. Uh, maybe like, you know, you know, a number of the letters of Paul all gathered into one collection. So, so that's some really, really good stuff. Um, one thing I like to highlight is when you go back and look at Kings, in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you've got almost half of them are mentioned in other sources. So, yes. Babylonian sources, Assyrian sources, a couple, a couple in Egypt. Mm-hmm. So, you've got those kinds of things, and they're always in the right time at the right place. So, the the, the biblical chronology is right. Uh, and, and again, this is this is just using extra biblical sources to to determine that right so it's, it's not it's not just oh well i think the bible's got it right no we we know that the bible got it right so you know those kinds of things uh, are are you know are, are exciting uh, details that the bible mentions at times that you know could not have been known by somebody making the story up later mm-hmm. so uh so like the price of slaves for instance one of the things, uh, criticisms of the book of Genesis is, you know, somebody in the 6th, 7th century, 8th century maybe just sort of invented this stuff. Well, <laughs> it gets a lot of details right. Yeah. Um, you know, people, places, prices. There's no way to go back and, and do research to fake that. Um, I mean, they somebody was writing it at that time, right? And so... Uh, those kinds of things that the, in, the internal chronology of the new Testament, where, you know, you have, uh, Paul meeting Priscilla and Aquila. Um, we, we connect that to Roman history, mm-hmm. Claudius expelling uh, a group of Jews right. you know, around 50, uh, 40, 49. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so it, it matches up very well, um, historically with what we know of things outside the Bible. You know what? I don't want to assume everyone knows, but take the audience back through the copying process of the uh, Old Testament. I I once learned it um, doing a study on Between the Testaments, um, and I was talking to one of my uh, 
young brothers uh, just last week about, you know, when King Alec, um, Alexander wanted to make that library and he wanted the uh, Jewish uh, scriptures translated. Uh, take the audience through that, that strenuous process of copying the Old Testament texts, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. In fact, Jesus actually... Um when he is when he's talking about the Pharisees and mm. kind of criticizing the religious elite, this was a group that knew the Bible better than anybody because the the copying process was you copied the you copy the text exactly, and 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 so one of the things that they did was they would have these different procedures for counting things in the text. So they knew what the middle letter of a book was. They knew what the middle word was. They knew how many lines. They knew how many words. And so they would count all of this stuff. And if all the numbers lined up, then that was one way of determining that it was an accurate copy. Now, that didn't mean a perfect copy because you could have misspelled a word and still gotten all the numbers right. Maybe, you know, you know, put a you know, a, a K instead of a C or an M instead of an N. Right. And so, but, but you still come up with all the right numbers, right? So, so it doesn't really catch spelling mistakes always, but it was a very, very good way of making sure that those copies were, were preserved because, you know, this wasn't just good literature and it wasn't just fanciful stories. This was the word of God, and they took that very, very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and you compare them to the oldest copies that people had before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, which dated to about 900 to 1000 A.D., so we're talking over 1000 years, mm -hmm. they were remarkably similar. And these were texts that had been copied for a millennium, and yet they were copied so faithfully that they, you know, were unmistakably similar to each other. Very, very few mistakes. And so that 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 kind of thing is something that I think should give um, not not just be exciting to get confidence to uh, to Christians. Now the New Testament's a little bit easier because we we can actually go back and get copies of the New Testament that are pretty close to when the originals were written. We can't really do that for the Old Testament, mm. but we can do that for the New Testament. And and again, that, that's another source where it's, it's, it's very exciting to see just how closely people copied this. Because again, this is the Word of God. This wasn't just some random text that they had to copy. This was, you know, words of the prophets and the apostles and Jesus himself. I think I was uh, I once read or was told uh, by my teacher, uh, especially with the um, Septuagint translation or, you know, when you got this, the 70 priest that those that were scribes of those texts, you know, if something was, as you said, miscounted or, or um, incorrectly done, there was they were almost whacked, <laughs> like struck for getting it wrong until they got it right. So. Uh, is that is that true? Yeah, you know, I haven't heard that. Okay. I haven't heard that one. But um, or, or, but, or uh, I compared I it to you know when you pop your kids on the hand for doing something wrong, like hey, that that was incorrect. <laughs> um, ah, I forgot I was the um, taught to me, but it was it was 
from what I understand, it was definitely a, a, a painstaking um, procedure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um. So let's let's fast forward past all this good stuff because I'll stay there all day. Um, talk to us. You mentioned about your YouTube channel. Um, mm-hmm. I just recently even watched uh, more information. Um, you know about Islam and uh, Muslims make the best Christians, things of that nature. Uh, tell the people about your YouTube channel and, and what your goal is for that. You, you mentioned you started it during the uh, pandemic. Um, go go further into that. Okay, so uh, basically, what what I try to do is, you know, I I, I kind of look back at my my own experience where, you know, as as I mentioned, in in college and after I got out of college where I didn't really feel like I had a lot of answers. I sort of had a lot of doubts, didn't really know what to do, really you know, thought, knew I believed in God, but you know, didn't really have a lot of confidence. One of, the, one of my passions is to try to help people with that, uh, to, to, to give people confidence, to, to give them kind of answers that they're looking for, uh, information that's going to help them and, and help their faith and help them grow. And so what the channel is, is basically centered on is, is things of an apologetic nature. So I will sometimes do, uh, I guess what you could call offensive <laughs> apologetics. So, you know, we'll talk about maybe Islam and, and maybe, you know, some of the shortcomings of Islam or Mormonism or something like that. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we might do some defensive apologetics, which is, you know, here's this criticism of the, uh, of the Bible and here's how you answer it. Or, you know, here's, here's how you answer uh, claims that the Bible contradicts itself or, or, or those kinds of things. And then some of it is a little more practical. So um, I, uh, I've done some, some stuff on, you know, uh, when, when, you, when you give that answer, right, somebody asks you for that hope that's in you, and they ask you why you're a Christian, here's how you do that in a way that's winsome, right? So uh, maybe don't be a jerk, right? So, <laughs> you know, don't, don't go out of your way to belittle somebody. You know, you treat them like Jesus would treat them, and and, and so it's it's some of the things that's sort of practical reminders like that. That uh, uh, what I'd like to do is is help people be uh, more confident and more convicted, mm-hmm. uh, but also to help them make as good a case as they can to somebody else that they might encounter, because that's kind of. That's kind of what uh, what Christians do when we help to equip and encourage and edify one another is we don't just do it for us. We do it for us and for anybody else who may come into contact with us who has the potential to be a follower of Christ also. Right. So so that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm uh, trying to accomplish with my channel. OK. And, and I, as I told you before, I was a big fan of, of all of your work. Uh, so has your YouTube channel more or less replaced the podcast um, or that's just something you go back and forth with? Yeah. So me moving to to Montgomery to teach uh, my first year, you know, preparing for classes uh, has really done a number on my schedule. So <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting back into doing my podcast here pretty soon. Uh, hopefully sometime this summer we'll, we'll get that fired back up again. Okay. Okay. Um, and for those that don't know, uh, brother Bryant, he has a podcast called, uh, light from the past. Um, brother Bryant, I'm about to let you go, but I'm just going to 
hammer you with two last questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, for those that may not be able to afford to go back to college or uh, are looking to get into some of the study that um, you have expertise on, uh, what are some good resources for uh, our brothers and sisters to begin uh, with apologetics? What's a good start? Okay. So um, technology has been awesome. Uh, I, I know it, it, it is a mixed bag <laughs> because, Amen. you know, the, 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 the quagmire that social media is, is not a, an awesome place to be, but <laughs> because of information, because of information, uh, and it being more readily available, you know, you can go and, um, and find apologetics websites. You can find apologetics channels on YouTube. Um, there's a lot of information out there, um, uh, even books, books and articles, right? So, so there are, are still magazines, you know, apologetics magazines that are published. Uh, the Christian Research Journal is one. Um, you can uh, go to uh, a variety of uh, different play books. You know, books are published um, uh, that are just excellent. And and generally, if you if you Google something like maybe like the top 10 or top 20 apologetics websites or apologetics, YouTube channels um, that should kind of get you on a, on a good start um, that will, that will help uh, anybody who's interested in this. It'll kind of help them get, uh, get their first steps in uh, to, to, to getting some more information on this. Okay. And um, you know what? I actually told a fib. I actually got two. It would have been a total of three questions. Uh, so your author, uh, as I mentioned earlier, and the titles of your books is who is like the Lord exploring the attributes of God. Uh, we also have 12 compelling truths and rediscovering Jesus, all of which can be found on Amazon. Uh, briefly tell us, uh, what was your, uh, goal for your three books? What, what were you aiming at? Okay. So with my first one was 12 compelling truths and it was just sort of a basic, uh, lesson book. Um, I, I used to work at 21st century Christian, which is the publisher of that. Oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and they didn't really have any apologetics books. They had one that they were sort of phasing out. And so I said, Hey, this is a good opportunity. I'm, I'm interested in this. Um, I'll, I'll come up with 12 sort of apologetics areas and make a class book out of it. Huh. And so that was, that was the goal. Uh, for for that book, for uh, who is like the Lord, that's an exploration of the attributes of God. So uh, that's that's one area where I'm I'm really interested in um, this this theological. And so looking at God's attributes, how they fit together, making sure we've got a good view of God, because a lot of people don't. You know, he he's the big grandfather in the sky, or he's you know super <laughs> sappy. You know. Basically, just you know, the, the patron saint of Valentine's Day. He's all about love, uh, and, you know, or or he's like this, you know, this cosmic uh, dictator. You know, just just you know, lightning bolts abound for whoever steps out of line. Right. And so I kind of wanted to, kind of wanted to uh, uh, get a good biblical study of his attributes, and I actually actually address a, a little bit of that because I, I tend to address things from an apologetics angle anyway. So I, I work a little bit of that into the book. Um, and then Rediscovering Jesus, 
Oh, and uh, who's like the Lord? I'm actually uh, gonna gonna republish in a revised edition this summer. So hmm, okay, uh, the the one that's available now is going to be the first one. This this revised edition is going to be coming out. Um, and then rediscovering Jesus is a short ebook. I'm actually working that one over too. Hmm. I'm going to make it into a full length uh, book, and it deals with things like you know the mythical Jesus. You know how do we know Jesus was a historical figure? Hmm. You know uh, I've got one chapter called the Jesuses who never lived. And so, you know, I, I go into like, you know, right wing Jesus who loves the Second Amendment, um, you know, or uh, left wing Jesus. And they like uh, he, he drives a Prius um, or, you know, <laughs> you know, homosexual Jesus or feminist Jesus or, you know, all, all those kinds of things. Right. And so um, ways that basically Jesus gets hijacked. Right. So so I've got my political ideology or my you know, whatever social issues I love, and I'm just going to hijack Jesus and make him the champion of, of my beliefs. So what I do is I turn Jesus into a person that looks exactly like me, you know, <laughs> instead of the son of God. And so, uh, and so I, I go into some of that stuff with, with that one as well. And uh, forgive me if I am uh, incorrect, but are you, um, are you currently preaching full-time anywhere? I'm not preaching right now. Okay. Okay. Only on occasion. Okay. Okay. Mercenary for hire. <laughs> um, Brother Brian, I enjoyed our time. Um, I may have to come back for a part two because I don't want to hold you. Um, but folks, uh, he's an expert at this field. Um, you can, um, hopefully he will answer you. He's a good brother, so I hope he, he will. But you can follow him on uh, Instagram at Dwayne David Bryant. Um, he also has availability on Twitter, Dwayne D Bryant. And uh, please, please, please flood his YouTube channel. Um, and we spell Dwayne D E Way. I'm sorry, D E W A Y N E Bryant B R Y A N T. Um, check out his podcast. It's still airing. Uh, he, he promised he'll come back to it, but again, it's called Light from the Past. It's part of the Light Network channel. Um, Brother Brian, is there anything uh, you mentioned that you're revising a couple of your books? Anything you want to tell the audience? Yeah, one thing I will say is I'm always looking for input. So anybody, and, and, and again, this, this kind of fits with my with my uh, my passion for trying to help to help people give people answers if anybody ever has an apologetics question man i would love to hear it if it, if it would help you know to send an email if it would make a good youtube video a good podcast uh please let me know because that really helps me out in, in helping to, to address some of the questions that other people have because if it's just me you know I, i'm just sort of guessing because I've, I've got my areas of interest that i love and, and i'm just sort of thinking about what other people might might uh, might want to know, but if I get those questions, man, that would be awesome. So so please let anybody know that I am available uh, to be contacted by any means necessary. Amen. God be praised, uh, brother Brian. Continue the good work. Uh, hope summer vacation away from Faulkner does you uh, some uh, does you some good. Get some quiet time. Uh, get some uh, date nights in with the wife. <laughs> uh, I, that's I, right <laughs> I very much appreciate your time um, and maybe we'll get together to do a second one of these 
Um, I, I did two episodes with my brother up in Michigan um, for Micah 6. So I, I would love to have you on again and we can um, maybe address more uh, current events and see what an, an expert of, uh, apologist has to say about that. Hey, would love it, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much, sir. You have a good night, all right? Hey, you too, man. All right, God bless. You too. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at liberation underscore pod.